Hello and welcome to Newsreel with Joe and Neil. I'm Joe. I'm Neil. It's Sunday, January the... What's the date today? January the 13th. 13th, 2019. So, in this day and age, as everyone can see and experience for themselves, thanks to, among other things, the proliferation of communications and social media, it seems that just about everything is up for discussion up for revision, up for reaffirming, um, and it's causing like incredible amounts of polemic, polarization. I suppose, I suppose the, um, I don't know, there's a kind of an eschatological uh, element to mainstream religion and even to the more modern kind of new agey beliefs that we would be going through they prophesized a time when all will come out in the wash. It all would be revealed. Now, most of the time you've got a kind of a, a nice halo over that, that it would be the time of the great unveiling and everything would be revealed and it would be great. <laughs> what we're finding more like, it's more like everything's coming to the surface, all the internal contradictions in society, among people, and then even within people come to the fore. And it's pretty fractious you know yeah. obviously the main simple division is left versus right when it comes to politics but it's so much more than that isn't it like well, pro-islam anti-islam pro-migrant anti-migrant yeah. feminazis versus the manosphere it's like everything everything's up for picking a side and people are doing it picking apart and picking a side yeah it's um well there's i mean a couple of things one one is that the a lot of people you talk about eschatological kind of end time stuff you know and uh, a lot of people i get the impression that a lot of people who aren't necessarily religious or, or you know practicing or religiously inclined or whatever still talk about it in those terms when they look at some particular moment of craziness that's happening on the planet they'll say geez it's kind of like or they'll make some reference to the end of the world or something like that you know because obviously those memes or those ideas uh, of especially in the West, and which is mostly a Christian, Judeo-Christian uh, cultures or culture, um, that's in people's minds and in their heads, you know, from when they're brought up and they're exposed to one extent or another to religion. So they have this idea of the end times, or maybe it's even deeper than that, I don't know. But basically people have that on the tips of their tongue whenever things are going crazy in, on the planet, particularly in a widespread kind of way. A war is one thing, whatever, people maybe got used to that, you know, that, that happens. But when people see... I see that when people uh, are, see the, the level of, of chaos and uh, social chaos and division, they tend to go, go to that, that place of saying, Jesus, like, it's almost like this is the end of the world type thing or something, or maybe the, the end of the world is coming or something like that. You know? they, they do it in a tongue-in-cheek way, but they still say it, you know? Mm. And the other thing is you can look at it all as very, in a very negative way, say that it's crazy, people are just, have lost, a lot of people have lost the plot. Uh, there's so much extremism going on, so, so little, uh, you know, rational thinking or, or nuanced thinking, uh, so much black and white thinking, <clears throat> and it's terrible, and a lot of people are afraid of, you know, um, you know rightfully so, I'd say, afraid of, of what's happening in the world and to their societies, depending on where you live and how bad it can get and stuff. But at the same time, like you just kind of mentioned, it's almost like there's a lot of stuff coming out and people are, are bringing up things uh, within them 
there are ideas that are coming up to be dealt with, let's say. Uh, you know, people are being forced to, qu to think about things uh, more deeply than, than they usually are in, in human societies in mm -hmm. the past. And, you know, that's, that's a good thing. In one, from one perspective, that's, that's a good thing, you know. It's kind of like you imagine a family where there's an awful lot of stuff going on, going, going on below the surface, you know, old grievances, old hurts and stuff, but nobody ever talks about it. Mm -hmm. And then one day, somebody says something and that just blows the whole thing wide open and everybody then is at each other's throats, arguing, recriminations, accusations, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's kind of, that's maybe a good analogy for what's happening with the human family, let's say, uh, particularly in the West, but to some extent around the world, but it seems to be focused on the West where the big Western Judeo-Christian family are having to do some soul searching and having, having to really sort out their issues and their differences and, uh, and hopefully come to some resolution or some conclusion, uh, at least some, a, a deeper level of understanding, you would hope. I think that is available for some people to do as long as they approach it in the, in the right way. But a lot of people are, uh, are probably doing it in the wrong way. They're sticking to their guns, sticking to their position. They're right. Everybody else is wrong. It's not, not a productive way to approach the, approach the situation, you know. Um, but of course, you'll have to, to approach it in a, more, in, a, in a more positive way. You would have to see uh, that what benefits one has also must benefit all. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a community aspect to it where, you know, we all rise or fall together type thing. Uh, so you, it's not a good idea to say, well, I'm just going to stick to my guns and screw you. I'm right and you're, and you're wrong. Uh, that's not helpful for you or for, for, for anybody else with society that, that you live in, you know? So, um, yeah, it's kind of very interesting times that we live in. And like I said, there's a lot of chaos, a lot of nonsense, a lot of craziness. Um, but hopefully, something good will come out of it or we're all going to die <laughs> or, or neither so the neither would be something like not much good can come out of it but for some if they don't fall into the trap mm. they can do well they can thrive in fact yeah they can to quote someone there who's made this a popular term but is has older meaning for us they can ride the wave yeah rather than be washed under it yeah but it's, it's the sheer strength of it right and the other aspect is that you, know, you can say well don't get over, don't get worked up about it you know why are people getting so worked up it's not such a big thing people who are observing it let's say might think um they would suggest that it's not such a big deal you know um this has happened before in human history you know societies have been divided uh, there's been uh, serious polemics uh, you know that, that have come up and that have divided populations in, in, in specific countries or in, in more than one country there's even been, you know, some level of kind of social strife or, or social conflict. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's just what happens, you know, in human society. So it's, it was ever so type thing. It's, it's just no big deal, really. But I don't think that's the case, really, because we live in a very unique time um, where in previous societies before, literally before the last 20 years, 20, 20 25 years, um, people did not have the access to, to information that they have today and the ability to interact with each other with millions of other people potentially, um, at, at, um, you know, instantaneously or immediately as, as something unfolds. You know, think about social issues 100 years ago or 200 years ago. They were very, they were relatively small. Not a lot of people necessarily in the country would have known about it even, and even fewer would have been directly involved in it. And for that reason, it would kind of peter out, you know, with those kind of things never went on for too long, you know. I'm, not, I'm leaving out wars here. I'm talking about social uh, 
social conflict or social you know, dividing of the population on one side of the aisle or another. Sometimes it actually led directly to a war, but the wars usually, kind of civil wars in the West were, were quite short-lived as well, you know. And again, not a lot of, not everybody was involved in it. But today, with the internet, we did a show last year on why the internet should be uh, 9-11. 9-11, the internet, <coughs> the internet should be destroyed. That was just my take. It was kind of a devil's advocate kind of approach. That uh, I thought that the internet overall was a force for negative, uh, was a negative force rather than a positive force overall. But then you can't really separate those two because if you decide that the internet should go, then you lose some of the positivity, the positive aspects mm -hmm. of it. Certainly, we have or benefited. You from lose it. its potential at least. Yeah. At le yeah. So it's not really something you can take a, a strong or hardline approach on. But just yeah. in case anyone misunderstands <clears throat> us, um, when we're saying what. Do, between the lines, are we saying something like, don't take a hard stand on anything and be quiet? You see you see how it could be mis yeah. misconstrued as just, just stay back and stay quiet and don't raise your head above the parapet lest you get shot, metaphorically or possibly even literally. Um, but that's not what we mean, is it? I mean, you can take a strong stance and stand your ground on whatever principles you have come to accept at that time but without having to do anything, do or say anything precipitate that um, is potentially dangerous. Right. Something like that. Well, there's kind of two sides. It's, it's not, again, it's, it's not simple. It's not black and white. And, and that's a good example of, of the truth of what we're saying, that of, of how things, when they go black and white, that they're wrong. Uh, the, the answer to that question as to what people should or shouldn't do is not black and white. It's nuanced and it can be also it can be specific to the person and to their particular con uh, situation in their lives, what's going on in the community, you know. But, <clears throat> so for example, if you, you know, for example, stories that are relevant uh, today where countries in Europe have been and, and even are today, I think there was a story today from uh, Germany where an Afghan uh, refugee, I think, uh, went into a hospital and stabbed a pregnant Polish woman and she lost her baby as a result. Now, that's the kind of thing that has, it's been many examples of that uh, in the past few years mm -hmm. in, in European countries um, and to some extent in the US as well. And uh, that's the kind of thing that would seriously inflame tensions and would could get someone really worked up about mm -hmm. uh, and would put them obviously on an anti-immigrant, could put them, and you can understand why, would put them on an anti-immigrant stance. Mm -hmm. uh, but... That's that's that specific situation. Do you want to get in the streets and protest that? If there's a protest going on in Germany tomorrow, for example, to protest immigration, do you want to go on the basis of that story? Do you want to go and defend your, as a German, let's say, do you want to defend uh, German kind of uh, society and uh, and to stop this kind of thing happening? And obviously the answer in theory would be to stop immigration or to, lo to campaign for the, uh, the, the cancellation of, of German immigration policy, German government's immigration policy. Uh, nobody can argue with you or nobody's going to say that's the, the wrong thing to do. I mean, mm -hmm. they could argue and say mm -hmm. it's only one case, blah, blah, blah. There's lots of good immigrants, blah, blah, blah. But I think, and so extrapolate that out to any issue that you get worked up at, when you see that, that hits your kind of like uh, your moral foundations or, or, you know, what you feel strongly and, and pushes those buttons. Um, there's, you should also, while, while, Constating that to yourself and, and, and recognizing that that's the way you feel, you should. It's important to understand 
or bring in some understanding about human nature and about how the world works and how that there may well be people in the world today in positions of power who have an interest in dividing uh, society, particularly Western society, but any societies. I mean, obviously there's a long track record of uh, particularly, again, <laughs> Western powers, but not only, but Western powers going around the world and dividing, divide and rule, using divide and rule policies or strategies within countries to set local people against each other so they can more easily control them and rule them. Now, it's not a big stress to suggest that that may be at work in Western society. Mm -hmm. And if you... It's so abstract, though, to go from there to a guy going into hospital and stabbing a pregnant woman. Right, but it's not that that, that, that particular incident is... It, it's abstract. It's not, I wouldn't say it's much abstract as opposed to... As, as, uh, but rather it's, it posits a very, very complex and you would probably say monstrous uh, scheme or plot if that's you know, one of the end results of it, you know, i.e. someone deliberately planned to, or is deliberately planning to bring in as many refugees or migrants into European countries knowing that they're not, they haven't been kind of uh, integrated or it would be difficult to integrate them and they come from a different culture and a different background. Some of them, many of them come from, let's say, war, uh, conflict, conflict zones they've been traumatized themselves, so they're a bit unhinged and a bit destabilized. So out of every 10,000 migrants, you know there's going to be a few who will act in this way, who will just, in some way or other, not, you're not going to you know, define it right down to, or plan it right down to that guy going in, uh, into the hospital. Uh, but in general, you know that some of them are going to act up and, uh, and inflame tensions in Western societies and, um, and, and cause that kind of a division among the people, you know, mm -hmm. because obviously there are different types of people. And there's one of the fundamental things that people need to understand is that there are deep psychological differences between human beings. There's a lot of literature, a lot of psychological uh, literature on and studies done on this um, to show that people do have. I mean, one of the books that we keep referencing is Jonathan Haidt's. Uh, mm, I keep forgetting the freaking title of it. Uh, the righteous mind. The righteous mind. Yeah. Why? Why? Uh, good people are divided by politics and religion. I think. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the fact of the matter is that people are do have foundational differences. Let's say uh, there are a cent and they can be broken down. That's why they've been broken down into conservative and left leaning or liberal, or whatever. Um, the conservatives tend to, among other things, value loyalty and loyalty to their to their group and sanctity and of the nation or of the nation a higher, a or higher, higher power yeah. basically whereas more left-leaning people fu fundamentally foundationally as part of their makeup their gen they were born with it let's say they're, this is the way they're wired uh, tend to left-leaning people tend to care well focus more on the, they have a more of a care foundation and they that they're triggered more by uh, care and consideration for others, for the oppressed, for, for poor people, you know, or for, in whatever way, marginalized people, etc. Mm -hmm. People suffering and they want to care for them. So they have the, the bleeding hearts, that's what they're called bleeding heart liberals, uh, whereas conservatives tend to be more focused on uh, conservatism, let's say tradition, uh, their group tradition, uh, loyalty to that, and, um, and like you mentioned, sanctity and the idea of a, a higher power or authority. So there are very foundational differences that may make people respond very quite differently in, in different situations. Mm. Um, so 
the idea would be that someone knows that. I mean, and it's been like that idea has been around. It's been understood for a long time by by social scientists and obviously by rulers of countries. You know, you use social scientists, you just use scientific information to help govern the country. Let's say their understanding of psychology of human beings is, is seems to be quite quite uh, quite developed. Um, so this conspiracy that I'm positing here is that to keep in mind the possible conspiracy that someone is deliberately trying to divide uh, Western society mm -hmm. f for a specific purpose. Now, it's not a very complex purpose. It's as old as time in a certain sense. It's not I mentioned it before, which is that it's divide and rule. And it's a clique or a group of uh, leaders who have been in power or an establishment that has been in power for a very long time. And they are corrupt and increase increasingly corrupt and increasingly self-centered, increasingly don't care about the, the, the people, the people then respond to that like with the yellow vest protests in France and in other places of late and the response to that is well we need to divide these people we basically need to have them fighting each other mm -hmm. rather than fighting us because we like our positions of power and authority and we don't want to lose it but we're the type of people who just can't stop serving ourselves primarily over the over serving what we're meant to do is ser serving the, the people so they, they can't do that because they're constitutionally kind of driven to do that, to serve themselves. So they're going to provoke a reaction among the population and they understand. I mean, and again, this isn't new. This is like uh, been around throughout human history. This idea and, these, and the strategy of controlling the population, of dividing them against each other. Now, I'm just saying that since that strategy has been around for a long time of a group of elite uh, people in power, um, trying to divide at, in, in times when the people are rising up against and, and angry at the authorities, the authorities then use tactics to divide those people. I'm saying that that's what we see today. And you can't remove some conscious input from the authorities or from some powers in, in implementing that strategy. A strategy just doesn't develop by itself. It just doesn't all happen by accident. There are people in power who are corrupt and do want to, at all costs, hold on to their power <clears throat> and do see that the people are angry with them and do implement strategies. Mm -hmm. So then you look and say, well, what, what's playing out in the world today? And you see that, the, that Western countries, again in particular, are, divided, are, are being divided, have been over the past several years, increasingly divided against each other along these kind of fundamental ideological lines. So when you find yourself being polarized to one end because of some event in the news that by definition would put you potentially at odds with your neighbor the guy living next door to you think about all i'm saying is you should all before you get out in the streets and start marching and screaming at people and maybe screaming at your neighbor you should keep in mind that you may be playing into a deliberate strategy to get you to do exactly what you're doing. And it's not in your best interest. Yeah. But at the same time, like I said, I can understand fully people's respons responses based on my understanding from the work of other people of, of those differences in human beings and what makes them tick and that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the left kind of a foundation, the, the leftist kind of care foundation and consideration for other people. <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with the right uh, conservative kind of more moral uh, kind of um, 
loyalty and, and sanctity and authority foundation. Both of them are necessary for a properly functioning society. And, and they, they, there is a middle ground that can be found between the, between the two. But ver it's very easily uh, split or divided or provoked. Those, those differences are very easily exacerbated. And, and what I'm saying is that I see those differences being exacerbated or, be, or being provoked. Uh, and I can also track it back, obviously, in the case of immigration, I can track it back to conscious decisions by Western powers to bomb and destroy Middle Eastern countries and African countries where the immigrants are coming from that are causing those social divisions. So are you a, are we going, well, what are, you, are you going to be a coincidence, a coincidence theorist then? That that was all just by accident? Fair enough, if you want to do that, it still doesn't change the fact that it's happening. But I suppose the key ingredient is if it's conscious or not, then you can you can assume, I suppose, if you if you if you fall on the side of I think it's most likely to be conscious, well then you can assume that it doesn't have a good end result for you. You know? If it's just accidental, then maybe you're more free to go, well, we'll just go with it, you know, because that's just the way these things happen and have to be sorted out one way or another and uh, you know, may the best man win type thing. But if there's a controlling hand in it, that is specifically trying to uh, create a negative situation for everybody on both sides of the of the of the conflict or the debate. Then I would, at the very least, I'm not saying people shouldn't get out and protest and express their what what they think, you know, stand up for their rights and stuff. But just pay attention to what's going on, you know, at mm -hmm. the very least, and be careful. There were two other incidents in Germany last week, which. Um, uh, were pretty horrific as well, and it's interesting in the way they contrast with the story you just cited of the Afghan. I presume he was a refugee, um, and I presume that was his partner who he went into the hospital and stabbed. Maybe. Yeah. Um, it, they happened two incidents. They happened three days apart. I think it was the same city in eastern Germany. <clears throat> On the first occasion, uh, someone set off some kind of bomb, explosive, outside the offices of the AfD Alternative for Deutschland. Uh, the so-called new far-right party, anti-migrant party in Germany. Um, just two days, or three, two or three days later, um, somebody, <coughs> I think from the same city, an elected AFD official, right. uh, MP, was so brutally attacked, he almost died. Um, you might have seen the photos yeah. um, of the damage to his face. It, uh, probably an attempted assassination. I think it's actually lucky that he was not killed. Mm. There's no information that, that I know about who did that, but I just found the confluence of those two things coming so close together. Mm. I think in the same city. Yeah. Really weird. Now, oh, wait, conspiracy aside, what is... Imagine that you're not thinking, you're not going to bother, you're just taking it at face value, you hear that news. What would be, if you were a supporter, loosely, or maybe really ardently, of AFD in Germany, what would your impressions of that double hit be? Yeah, well, you you would you would be enraged at, at further enraged at the immigration policies of the German government, and you would resolve that you're going to do whatever is necessary to make sure that uh, those policies are changed, or if that's not possible, you're going to take take direct action against immigrants. Yeah, my side is under attack. Right, that's, that's I, I have concrete evidence it's in my face. My side is under a, attack. That's the conservative loyalty uh, loyalty foundation.
that that is very hard to, won't be overcome yeah. that they'll always go with that whereas the liberals could very easily switch they may feel that they'll have some sense of uh, concern for their society and, and bad things happening in their society but they'll very easily switch because of their nature they'll very easily switch to actually caring more about when it comes down to it they'll care more about the, the immigrants because they can easily be provoked by images and stories about uh, immigrants coming with their children and their you know no food no shelter and they'll end up going down to help the <clears throat> immigrants rather than take yeah. a stand against them. Um, my, my problem is that I actually, on one hand, there's more hope in the conspiracy theory angle because it suggests that someone is deliberately trying to provoke uh, a kind of clash of ideologies in society and create a, a bad situation in Western societies that they have to actually consciously involve themselves in. For example, they could have put someone up to beating up that AFD uh, politician uh, to deliberately inflame tensions, uh, and if if that's the case, then that suggests that these people, if these people weren't consciously trying to inflame the situation, <clears throat> it would uh, it wouldn't be so bad, and hu human beings could resolve to, uh, or it could kind of basically work it out on their own. That things people ultimately people would see a bit of sense and realize that they've only they're the ones who are going to lose in any kind of social conflict, so they're not going to go there, and so there'd be less of that. People would, you know. People would not go to the extremes of of provoking the other side and creating a, a, a violence in their own society, uh, from which everybody is going to to lose. You know, so the con conspiracy suggests that um, it, it's kind of hopeful in a certain sense, even though it's bad. It, it posits that someone's deliberately trying to to make things worse, because otherwise they would be okay. Otherwise, but they, otherwise they would naturally resolve. Naturally resolve. But if it's just coincidence, and it's just the way human beings are, well, then you have less hope. Mm -hmm. Because the the blame falls on ordinary human beings, and it, you get the feeling that well, that's just the way human beings are. They're always going to be at each other's throats eventually. And so uh, I just throw my hands up. They're all going to tear each other apart. So either walk away just, or just give up hope, or you get get stuck into the battle. You know. Yeah. But um, so what's going on in France then? Um, is that booking the trend, so to speak? In that nine weeks in now, I mean, this weekend was. <laughs> more intense than last weekend. The, uh, the numbers thing is weird. That the French government said that there were initially they said there were about twenty five thousand protesters across France, including Paris and many other cities, this weekend. But that doesn't make any sense because they said they had at least eighty thousand security forces out in the streets. Mm. And you look at the videos, and you're not seeing a sea of blue and like two yellow jackets. You're seeing a sea of yellow jackets and a few police here and there, and maybe a lot at one end of the street or the city or whatever. Um, anyway, the point is that they still have major support nationwide. Two months, we're going, we're going to be going to three months soon. Um, is that kind of is this? Is this, um, I want to say, is, yeah, is it hopeful? Is it, in fact, bucking the trend of dividing? Is it a response to, because when you hear a lot of what they have to say, individuals who have actually been on the media to speak, sort of spokespeople of the Yellow Vest movement, or simply when they're being interviewed impromptu on the streets, mm -hmm. they're all about how, you know, we're in this together, and they specifically say that the problem is upstairs. Mm -hmm. It's not the guys over there or the people coming in from over there. Right. It's them. Yeah. The rich. Yeah, and that's why the the LFS protests in, in France have kind of been very heartening for people in other countries and, and provoked 
or, or made them respond in, in kind, essentially, in, in their own countries to take on, to, to wear the yellow vests and, and engage in similar kinds of protests. It hasn't really taken on to the same extent in other countries as it has in France, you know. But it is, yes, hopeful that, uh, because that's ultimately, if people are going to protest and complain about problems in the world, then, uh, or problems in, in this case in France, the, the, the problems clearly do stem from corruption in government and corrupt officials and their agendas uh, that really aren't uh, serving the interests of the ordinary people. And I mean, French people have still have it fairly okay. I mean, they don't have that much. It's all relative, right? They don't have that much to complain about, right? They, they're not living on, you know, a dollar a day or anything like that, you know? They're not going to, like, uh, what do you call them? To, uh, to rubbish or trash trash heaps and sorting through food, to sorting through trash heaps for food and clothing or anything like that. So it could get a lot worse. So you could argue that French people are a bit too entitled, if you know what I mean, they should just suck it up. They have it pretty good compared to a lot of people in the world. But I think it's more than that. There's more than just the, as has been suggested, it's more than just the taxes and that kind of stuff, you know, that the people really don't like the government. They don't like um, Emmanuel Macron and what he stands for. They don't like the way he talks and, and what he espouses. Um, and that's totally, fully, for me, it's completely understandable, you know. I mean, someone who stands up and a French president that stands up uh, on on the day of the commemoration of the end of the First World War, and denounces nationalism, and it's just in its mm -hmm. and, and that should we understand just nationalism in its purest form, which is people who, for, you know, people from a country who like that country and like the culture and like the values that that that, that country holds. For a president to get up and denounce that publicly, it's just like unconscionable. He's an idiot, basically. I can't mm -hmm. imagine. But he's driven. He has his own ideology, you know, and. and I don't for a moment think that it's really a well, uh, a genuinely or honestly motivated ideology. I don't think he's just a bit deluded. I think he's kind of like, uh, he's working. I mean, the guy who is reportedly his his lover, the guy Benalla, who was involved in the, in the scandals over the past six months or so, uh, where he was basically a, a confidant of, of Macron's, uh, he explicitly said, and he's in a good position to know, that Macron is just simply doing the bidding, crazy, he's fulfilling or following crazy policies, bullshit, the guy called him, just, they're, that they're making him do a ridiculous amount of bullshit, you know, but Macron has his part to play in that, he's willingly doing it, so he's, he's signed up to the, to that, uh, yeah. to that agenda, you know, so you can't say that he's not, nobody's twisting his arm, you know, but he is being told what to do, like most presidents of most countries, uh, particularly in the West, are more or less told what to do and when to do it by other people, people who are usually not elected by career diplomats and kind of establishment figures. They're the ones who decide the policies and what they should and shouldn't do. And the, the president or the prime minister or the leader of the country is simply uh, the person who has to get out there in front of the people and try and convince them to accept, you know, or, or to manipulate them into accepting or to lie to them, basically. Uh, about but what's actually going on, you know. So I think That's French people, the Yellow Vest, don't like Macron, don't like what he stands for because he's he's not really in, he's not the person that they elect. He's not he doesn't represent them as supposedly is a, is a narrative, right? The French people elect a president. He's meant to do what they want. Well, he's not doing what they want, and it's pretty clear. And most French people know that he's doing the bidding of someone else mm -hmm. uh, that does not have the interests of French people at heart. So just that in general, a gen that general idea is what. Uh, Angers the French people and, yeah. and want a change in the system. They can they they get specific about taxes and all this kind of stuff, blah blah blah. But I don't think that's really the issue. You know, I think it's they just don't yeah. like the government. Yeah, for those as reasons. Andrew 
Andrew Breitbart said famously, politics is downstream from culture. Right. And I think of this as like the French population is vomiting out all the whole array, but they're all quite tightly connected, the whole array of cultural, new cultural norms, ideologies in plural, but they form one overall ideology mm-hmm. that's being shoved down their throats, so to speak. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, that's, it's, it's lies as well. It's a kind of a rejection of, it's, a, it's the same in France as in the Anglosphere mm. um, and many other countries where it's gotten to a day, it's become a daily barrage of bullshit. Mm-hmm. I mean, Americans know this too. They complain about it as well. Um, so it's the same situation in France. This is nonstop. It's nothing, <laughs> nothing is sacred anymore. They will just lie and lie and lie and then lies upon lies and so on. Um, but just to follow up what you were saying earlier on, that yes, the Gilets Jaunes, <clears throat> the protesters in France, don't seem to be divided along that left-right kind of pro or anti-immigrant or pro or anti, you know, conservative versus liberal, whatever, whatever way you want to yeah. describe it. They don't seem to to be divided or haven't taken the bait to divide themselves along those lines. You know, it has it hasn't worked in France. Let's say <clears throat> to the extent that the government has has tried to push that that division, it hasn't worked in France. And it's a credit to, to the French people that they're, they're a bit more clued in and they're historically suspicious, which helps. They're just historically, by definition, suspicious of the government. When the government says something, the first thing they think is, they're probably lying. Let's check to see if there's anything truthful about what they've said at all. And then we'll look for the, look for the truth. But they assume that the government is corrupt and assume that the government's lying and they don't have that kind of... Uh, they're not awestruck yes. for, by, by, for the most part. They're not awestruck by authority or by governments, you know, um, which is, I suppose, why they're historically kind of maybe a bit more seen as a bit more leftist leaning, but they're a good mix. That's, that's what makes them yeah. kind of strange. They're a good mix of it, you know. I, I find it interesting <clears throat> um, watching the, the, the alternative independent commentators, let's say, mo- online mostly, um, Forget about the mainstream commentators. They're, of course, just following the overall, let's say, globalist party line. But even in the alternative, it's interesting how people are viewing it through their lens. Now, most people, most of them are fundamentally getting it in that left and right are basically united. Mm. But they still have their slant on it where they'll, they'll read into what they want. So for if you're, of the, if you're basically of the, the new right of the conservative values pushing back against uh, globalization, pro-nation state, you're seeing this substantially as the French people waving the tricolor, therefore that's the nationalists. Right. And you can you can find specific evidence for it because now there's, look at this, they have banners about being anti-mass migration and so on, or anti-terrorism, whatever. Um, and then, on the, of course, on the flip side, if you're of the more left-leaning, you're like, yes, finally, the revolution, the workers' revolution is really here. It's coming. Right. This is great. Right. <laughs> and they're all going, this is great. But they don't understand maybe that um, on the streets in France today, they're both there. They both know they're different when they talk to each other. But they're agreeing explicitly, I imagine, in the conversations right. they're having the and step. implicitly as a whole to put aside their relatively minor differences in the interest of a much greater difference that exists, the chasm between a very small, established, elite, mm-hmm. multi-generational, really, yeah. and them, well, the well, great unwashed. Well, that's the know? problem with Macron. He's taken up a centrist position, 
And like I said this in previous shows, that <clears throat> by taking up a centrist position, he has he thought he would unite people, but he's actually succeeded in not serving either the left or the right uh, interests because you're in the middle, right? Mm. And that's actually what he does. And those people, the pro protesters, like you said, realise that, yeah, they may have differences, but ultimately they can't even get to the point of resolving those differences if they don't sort this government out first. The first step to even getting, to trying to get what they want based on their left or right-leaning uh, tendencies, they need to get rid of the government first. They need to do something about the government first, you know? Uh, and Macron, yeah, you, you notice that he actually is pissing off both sides. It's bizarre, but he's pissing off both sides. In other countries, the government either, you know, takes a, at least in in their words, they'll or, and in most of their actions, they'll whatever they're doing behind the scenes. But in most of their words and actions, they'll either take if it's a conservative government, they'll take mostly conservative lines. Or, or uh, in the UK, for example, right. the government's essentially right following the result of the referendum and right. pro Brexit. Right, and Trump is do is sticking to kind of conservative ideals and that kind of stuff. And you find the yeah. same in, in in other countries. But Macron, the idiot, like comes up and his backers are even more idiotic for for backing him and and pushing him in this direction he uh, he's clearly seen and is serving big business big business interests uh, at the expense of of the french people which is really pisses off the lefties because they want socialism right they want uh, uh, state nationalization of state state um, kind of uh, services and uh, you know and you can't touch the national health service that the welfare state has to remain and you have to look after the poor and all that kind of stuff basically welfare uh, but he's serving big, big big business he's not he's not charging he's reducing on and basically there's no taxes really for, for big corporations and he's seen and he comes from a Rothschild bank I mean he's a, he's a big businessman, you know so he pisses off the left for that reason at the same time then he comes out and he starts talking tries to kind of attract the, the left by talking talking pro-immigration and saying there's no such thing as nationalism which serves to piss off the right. Yeah. So who, who's he talking to? Yeah. If you're talking to nobody in France. You're appealing to nobody. Do you realise that? And then you wonder why you have these protests in France, of united protests. I mean, it's absolutely, he has absolutely himself, himself and his backers have only themselves to blame mm -hmm. for, for pursuing that policy. And the, these protests are, were an eminently foreseeable result of that policy, of, of pissing everybody off. Yeah. You're thinking that you're uniting them? I mean, talk about delusional, like it's bizarre, you know? Something I've been asked about frequently is, um, are these yellow vest protests going to spread? Um, they have, there have been some startup, let's say, smaller protests, mostly in Western Europe, but even as far as Australia, the US, I don't think so. Even Taiwan, apparently, there was some kind of strike or something and they were all wearing the gilets jaunes. Or whatever they have equivalent, um, but really, it's still uh, uh, maybe in Belgium. It's pretty hot there too, but it's still substantially f contained to France. Um, do you think it's likely that this is the kind of the thing of the era? It'll be some kind of a European or, or wider spring, maybe just not yet. Or this is the flip side of the discussion we're having, where if it's a trap to become too entrenched in one view or the other and therefore miss the real fundamental division that exists in terms of a totally disconnected oligarchy or elite or establishment or deep state versus the great mass of people who have far more in common than not. Mm. I don't, I don't... Which will win, <clears throat> so to speak? The, the phony division or the actual one? Well, that's the battle that's, that, that, that's going on, you know? And... Um... I don't, I don't see the 
the protests in France as a uh, as a trap. I don't see them as what they're doing because of what we said that people are genu- genuinely seem to be united against it and, and focusing their anger in the right direction. You know, so they're not they haven't taken the bait, but the that left right. <clears throat> division that, that we talked about and the possibility that it's being consciously implemented is a more you know broad scale and it 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 focuses here in one country at one point and then in another country and it pushes uh, certain agendas uh, it's it's a bro- i think it's a longer scale plan if you know what i mean it's not any it's not something that's going to can be implemented in a few months and then achieve its results. You know, it's, it's been going on for several years, it's been going on for maybe decades, if you want to look at it from a broader, from, on, on, in a longer term. Um, and, and that, but at the same time, those divisions have existed naturally in human beings, like we said, but there seems to be, it seems to come to a point where there are, there, there do seem to be people in position to power, even behind the throne, if you know what I mean, a deep state type of thing, who understand, know those divisions and have decided that it's a good idea <clears throat> in, in their own interests, in, their own, in the interest of keeping themselves in power, to encourage divisions in different ways over a longer period of time to encourage uh, divisions uh, in the population. I mean, one interesting point is you look at France, it would all, almost almost suggest that these people that I'm positing are uh, doing what they're doing know, have known that the French population, the French people are a bit more resistant to that kind of, those kind of divisive tactics because the worst and biggest terror attacks over the past number of years, perhaps throughout the whole war on terror in terms of the European continent, have happened in France. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly those kind of attacks by ISIS uh, at least have the potential. If you don't, even, if you don't want to assign a conscious conspiracy behind them, they at least have the potential, or should have the potential, to inflame a country uh, with such a large Muslim with, minority, with fifteen million Muslims and fifteen percent of the population. But um, uh, Muslims, that you would think that France would, at this point, already be in serious difficulties. Yeah, uh, that that would be the response to like the Charlie Hebdo and the Bataclan and several other terror attacks, big ones, you know. Um, on French soil, and then <clears throat> you know, uh, I mean, and, and as, as we've said before, these terror attacks happened in the context of the media reporting repeatedly and loudly about the immigrant immigrants coming into uh, Europe, including France, from Middle Eastern countries, uh, Muslims, and amongst them, big headlines saying that amongst them, amongst the immigrants were ISIS, terror, ISIS terrorists hiding, as ref, uh, masquerading as refugees. And these are the people who carried out these atrocious terror attacks on French soil. I mean, that right there is any, you'd think that any rational thinking people who has any a person who has any uh, self-preservation instinct would say, I don't want freaking refugees coming into this country because you've just told me that ISIS, the ones who shoot 80 people in a concert hall, are amongst them. So no. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not rocket science, you know? It's like, do you want this mass murderer in your neighborhood? No. I mean, that would just, that, that you know, you, you, in a certain sense... Don't think worry, that, we have a file on him and we're watching him from afar. Right, yeah. Well, you would think that everybody, regardless of their inclinations, left or right, would say, that's a bad idea. I don't want any mass murderers in my town, right? But 
They would naturally come as, to that conclusion among themselves. Right, everybody would. But at the same time, as people were being propagandized, or specifically the right-wingers, the, the ones who are you know, more conservative, as, at the same time as they were being targeted with that kind of propaganda, the left-wingers were being tar targeted at exactly the same time, on the same day maybe, as, as they're being told that ISIS are amongst the refugees. They're putting up pictures for the left-wingers with the bleeding hearts of refugee babies dead on a Greek seashore. Which have been going but that's on gonna, that right there prior is gonna, to that. But that's giving you a difficult yeah. choice. Based on your inclinations, you're going to say, what's most important to me? Yeah. Cons you, know, you know, protecting our, our, our identity and our in-group from the foreigners who want to kill us or saving the poor baby. And that way you split, like Moses parting the Red Sea, you can split uh, a population along those innate uh, moral kind of uh, inclinations. It takes effort to maintain it though or to re-split it and re-split it because right. the sea will come back and it'll be a crashing wave right. and you'll get what's going on in France and right. the state literally crapping itself. Well, uh, in France that'll hap that happens but like I said it may have more, that kind of strategy might have more success in, in other countries, you know. Um, as right. you, I don't know, you know, it depends on, on, the, on the makeup of the people in, in the specific country, you know. I mean, one effect obviously of the immigration, the most the biggest effect of, of the whole mass immigration to Europe and European countries has been this rise of the right that everybody keeps talking about, you know, in Germany, you know, uh, the alternative for Deutschland, a right-wing kind of conservative party, um, gets a lot of votes in the last election last, uh, last year, or the year before, and, um, and then you have a, a right-wing conservative party coming to power in Italy, and you also... Well, that's a joint... That's an interesting case. That's yeah. kind of like yellow vest in power. Right. Because you've got right well, and left. Yeah, but, yeah. But they, yeah, it's it's more complex, I suppose. But but it's a new party, let's say, and it's, yeah. they're anti-Europe and they're anti, you know, they're anti-system type thing, you know. So populist, as in they're popular. They're populist, and fundamentally, they're any 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 party that is anti-European Union is almost by definition nationalistic, right? Because they they, yeah. they say we're not, we don't want to be part of your conglomerate. We we're, we're Italians. We want to control our own destiny. Basically, that's a conservative, uh, you know, line. Uh, and you also see, obviously, in Pol Poland, there's a, been a big swing to the right, and in Hungary, uh, and the Austrians seem to be going for going towards uh, a more kind of conservative. Well, they were uh, way ahead of the curve. Bent, yeah, they had a far right in quotes Nazi in quotes right party in a coalition back in 2000. Mm -hmm. Jörg Heider, well, he met in unfortunate ends. You wonder about that. Yeah. Um, seeing as we mentioned it at the top of the show, I mean. We're into the kind of hardcore left right of the big political issues, but do you want we want to say anything about the way in which divisiveness comes through like everything like between the sexes and, yeah. and what what's the conspiracy there? The counter narrative the exposure of it would say that it's something like a feminist conspiracy or at least grows out of the devouring of academia by postmodernism mm-hmm and hard pseudo-leftist, neo-Marxist, whatever it is, um, philosophy mm -hmm. at the root of it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'd love to know how, really how much this has taken root in the population. Mm. It's, because you can't, you, can't trust, you, you can't trust that what you're seeing on the internet is a decent snapshot of the population's... Yeah. But I think fundamentally it, that's another, 
fracture point and it's between men and women. I mean, that's that's this, the simple overview of the situation is that clearly there's a there's an attempt from somewhere. I don't you don't have to say it's a conscious conspiracy of somebody in the dark suits and uh, the dark black hats and in, in some smoky room somewhere plotting it. But certainly there's there's forces at work that seem to be attempting have been attempting to uh, to divide men and women and set them against each other. So at a social level, you have an attempt to divide the population down the middle and uh, set them at each other's throats. And then you have an attempt to set uh, at a more more finite or, or detailed level uh, of, of biological sexes. You, you have someone trying to divide men and women against each other and have them argue and not be friends. But the bottom line in all this obviously is that you see people in society at the level of men and women, at the level of left and right, at the level of, you know, at religious levels, let's say, I mean, even a broader level would be Christianity versus Islam and stuff. There's clearly something is dividing the population, you know, very sharply. And you can reasonably posit that even if it's not a conscious conspiracy, it's that can only benefit the people in power. If they're the ones who really need to be called to account. They're not the ones being called to account because people are too busy fighting with each other. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But the whole feminist, uh, monosphere, um, red-pilled, male thing uh, is, uh, it's, it's, you know, it would take, it's, it's another discussion type thing, but, um, you know, we would have to get into it. I don't think we have time for it today, but... Ultimately, there are all of the all of the details are just like I said, manifestations of of people kind of you know swallowing ideologies and swallowing you know hardcore black and white oversimplified beliefs about reality and, and the way society works, and then running with it and being encouraged and being you know being kind of being encouraged by again to come back to the internet, you know, finding encouragement and finding validation for their for that black and white thinking on the internet with, with other people and getting together in groups, you know, and it's kind of echo chambers. Tribes. Yeah, yeah tribes. And we all, we all believe this and it's so hardcore truth. It's amazing. It just blew my mind and isn't this. And, you know, the thing is, a lot of those things are true and they, are, they do have a lot of truth in them about you how... Can, you can uh, find a lot by, by, as I phrased it to you earlier, by trying it on. Yeah. Trying on an ideology in quotes or yeah. a set of ideas. Right. The trick, though, is the it's trap just, is where you actually, it precipitates... And that's it. I'm not letting anything else in past this right. wall I've just put up I've, around it. I found the answer, basically, and that's it. Uh, that's, that's stupid because, you know, you know, human development is an is a unending process of, of discovery and learning, you know, more and more and learning, uh, well, more and more complexity, effectively, in any topic that you that you get into. So when you first get into something, you say, wow, this is amazing information. It just, like, makes so much sense of everything. Well, don't stop there at all. You've just stepped in the door, you know, uh, and that's just one part of the puzzle, you know. And there's find big, out what the big, whole house is like before you buy it. Right. Yeah. Uh, and don't, but basically, don't go looking to buy buy anything anyway. You know, you're just collecting information, putting together a, a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle, basically, and it's a very big one. We we'll switch gears here. Um, We'll probably find a way that it all plays back in. I want to bring up um, Mike Pompeo's visit to Cairo. 
the honourable member from honourable representative of the Cook Brothers. Mike Pompeo, like he's Trump's guy, but he's not. He's he is. Um, I think he was a rep, maybe a state representative in Kansas, and Kansas is the home of the Koch brothers. Uh, their industries and now their huge political purchase influence lobbying in American politics and not just in D.C. Um, yeah, the, I'm reading a book um, by Jane Meyer, Dark Money. Now, she has a particular slant on things. She's in it to expose the, the dark money behind big conservative politicians, um, think tanks, groups, etc. It's worth reading for in its own right to give you an idea of how the money flows. Of course, it's not the end of the story because we know there's a Soros network and other philanthropists who donate billions to Democrats and mm -hmm. people on the other side of all these political arguments. But um, Mike Pompeo was, he did, <clears throat> he was known at some point, he had the moniker. He was so politically bought by the Koch brothers that he was the representative from Koch, not from Kansas, um, which is it's super, super interesting because here he is in government with working nominally working under a president who was the only one of the 15 candidates for the rnc nomination who was not a Koch brothers um recipient mm -hmm. of campaign donations mm -hmm. they specifically didn't like him they had earmarked up to a billion dollars to to give to the winner of the republican nomination to then face off against hillary mm. They withdrew that when Trump won it and instead invested it in, in concentrating on local races mm -hmm. to get their, the right stuff in and around Trump. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, two years into the first administration of Trump, Mike Pompeo is a Koch Brothers guy. Uh, Mike Pence is a Koch Brothers guy. So it's like, mm -hmm. anyway, so Pompeo goes to Cairo. It's 10 years since Obama did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And his infamous slash famous however you saw it speech in cairo in which this would be a reversal of 10 years of bush and we're sorry basically he didn't say we're sorry really but it it was meant to convey contrition for american foreign policy in the middle east after 9-11 it was all horseshit obviously but it was yeah. horseshit because it just it continued under another guys um so now 10 years after that we have mike pompeo going to cairo to announce He's shaking it all, all change. Up. So let's have a listen. We're going to stop it a little bit here and there, probably. Secretary of State Pompeo on a nine-city tour in the Middle East today, delivering what the New York Times called, quote, a scathing and quite personal rejection of President Barack Obama's approach to the Middle East, excoriating Mr. Obama for fundamental misunderstandings about the region that underestimated the tenacity and viciousness of rad radical Islamism. Take a look at the strikingly different messages in 2009 and then today. Assalamu alaikum. It was here, here in this city, that another American stood before you. He told you that radical Islamist terrorism does not stem from an ideology. Islam is not part of the problem in combating violent extremism. It is an important part of promoting peace. Okay, pause it there. That's supposed to be two con contrary statements. But Pompeo isn't contradicting Obama as such. Obama never said 
that there was an ideological problem. He was saying that Islam is not the problem. And so it's, it's kind of semantics, but on the other hand, it isn't, because it's what's implied in what Pompeo was saying is that Islam is a political ideology, period, mm -hmm. and not a religion. As such, then, he doesn't mean to, but he, he is unconsciously making no distinction between radical Islamists and terrorism and everything that goes with it and the image of it with Islam. <laughs> this, is the, this is the worst thing you can say when you go to Cairo and you know, mm. speak to scholars and uh, diplomats in the Middle East. And you're, mm. you're trying to win them to your side. But actually, if you compare notes, he's trying to offset himself from Obama. But Obama's message is the one that's going to win, win friends and influence people in the mm -hmm. Middle East mm -hmm. versus his. Mm -hmm. right. um, okay, let's carry on. I told you that 9-11 led my country to abandon its ideals, particularly in the Middle East. The attacks of September 11, 2001, and the continued efforts of these extremists to engage in violence against civilians has led some in my country to view Islam as inevitably hostile not only to America and Western countries, but also to human rights. All this has bred more fear and more mistrust. He told you that the United States and the Muslim world needed, quote, a new beginning, end of quote. I've come here to Cairo to seek a new beginning between the United States and Muslims around the world. The good news is this. The age of self-inflicted American shame is over, and so are the policies that produce so much needless suffering. Now comes the real new beginning. You ain't seen nothing yet. The age of self-inflicted shame. Like... I think he's trying to, what he, he's saying, Obama arrived here and was contrite before you. And that was his fundamental mistake. Mm. So we're not sorry for anything. Mm. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> well, there was a guy after that uh, in the Fox News studio, the, they had a guy on who uh, followed up and explained for Fox News viewers what, what was really going on. Some general or something or a colonel, colonel or something or other. And, um, you know, he, one of the things he mentioned about uh, I suppose the the the, fa the the flaw in Obama's policy was pulling out of Iraq because that gave rise to ISIS, mm -hmm. and, and and you know America was too meek essentially, you know, saying you know, um, you know, going and and helping the Iraqis, for example, you know, by by invading and bombing their country and killing uh, 1.5 million of them, and then just leaving and giving rise to ISIS. I mean, the problem is in that, in that guy's analysis of it; it's, it's just. He's not even wrong. There's so much wrong with it that it's just, I don't know where to begin, basically, obviously. Um, but ultimately, this is, uh, it's American exceptionalism. I mean, you're just hearing from both Obama. Obama's just trying to manipulate people with a contrite kind of like, you know, he's, he's, it's, a, it's a manipulation where he, where he talked about, you know, um, he's still trying to further, Obama was still trying to further American foreign policy, but just through a, uh, nicey nicey approach it was more freedom and democracy basically whereas Pompeo now is saying you know uh, no we're going to be hardcore we're going to be straight with people and we're going to we're going to attack radical Islam and we're going to deal with with this problem in the Middle East and it never occurs to these people to you know shut the hell up and go home and and who the hell are you anyway I mean but it's it's absolutely part of the fabric of our reality right now that America has an absolute right uh, unspoken, absolutely 100% uh, 
intuited, assumed right to invade or involve itself in everybody's business, up to and including invading and bombing and threatening to do that. Um, and, and that's where I just have to say, okay, stall the, stall the digger there, you know. Let's go back to the beginning and question your assumption that the U.S. has any right or should, not even a right, but for, in the interest of, of the American people, should e be involving itself in all these conflicts around the world. Because you know what? They don't need, the world doesn't need America. I mean, it's, patho it's, it's a typical pathological ploy to, uh, for someone to insist that I'm doing this. Without us, you, you, yeah, you live in hell. Right, I'm doing this for you. And it's like, but have you listened to the person who said, leave me the, uh, the F alone? I don't want your help. Thank you. No, no. You're delusional. I, I need to be here and it's for you. Dude, obviously you're doing it for your own interests, for your own uh, agenda, to serve your own selfish agenda. And you're presenting it as this magnanimous, altruistic, helping all these people around the world and I have to deal with these problems or nobody else would deal with them. And America has done so much to help the world. No, it hasn't. It objectively has not done so much to... Ha it's done far more... Uh, it's, it's, done, it's, it's had a far more negative effect on the world, objectively, since it has been particularly influential in the world, say, over the last hundred years. It's had a far more pernicious effect on the world than a beneficial one. And, there, I mean, you, can, you, could, you could spend the next ten minutes listing all of the, all of the examples of... of of how that is absolutely true. Mike Pompeo wouldn't agree with you. He went on to say, America has always been and will always be a liberating force, not an occupying power. But that's nonsense. We've never dreamed of domination in the Middle East. Well, that's nonsense. Can you say the same about Iran? But that's, that's complete nonsense. Why, why would... I mean, the guy afterwards that I'm talking about, the colonel said that, talked about, you know... Uh, we need to, you know, we need to push back against ISIS and, and, and we need to deal with ISIS because, you know, it's our responsibility with radical Islamic terrorism, even though you're the ones who are actually ISIS's air force for the past seven years in Syria. So you're full of shit. Absolutely. And also to push back against Iran because Iran wants to, you know, um, Iran wants to get, get um, wants, to, wants to push, push Saudi Arabia, wants to take the place of Saudi Arabia. And I'm like, you have a problem with the Iranian Iranians who are not head choppers taking the place of the body boy head choppers in Saudi Arabia that you're best buddies with? What's is that? Is that not a point that should be brought up? Why is America concerned that Iran will displace Saudi Arabia that chops all sorts of body parts off for for no good reason whatsoever? And it's the most, you know, restrictive and oppressive uh, dictatorship in the Middle East that is also the fount, the source of radical Islam that you supposedly want to, to, to fight. And they're your best friends. Oh, but it's complicated. No. Okay, it's complicated. Explain it. Yeah. Stop bullshitting everybody and explain exactly what your agenda is. And you'll find that it's exactly the opposite of what you say. It's not about freedom and democracy. It's not about helping the world. It's not about dealing with radical Islam. It's exactly the opposite of all of those things. It's about fueling radical Islam through your alliance with Saudi Arabia. It's about dominating and occupying and controlling as many strategically important, i.e. resource-rich countries in the world.
that's what your agenda is. Just just own it. You know, twelve step program, the first step, you know. Get up and, and, and admit that I, you're a freaking you're 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 an addict. You're addicted to domination and control. He uh he also said we assembled a coalition to liberate Kuwait from Saddam Hussein. Would the Russians or Chinese come to your rescue in the same way, the way that we have? <laughs> it was like what a, a piddly little, little pinprick of a country called Kuwait in the Middle East. Is that? I mean, but if that's his narrative, well, then the counter to that is Syria. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing you've been screaming about the right. last few years right. that Russia came and propped up the Syrian regime. Yeah. No, I mean, if Saddam wanted to invade Kuwait and he had his own reasons for invading Kuwait, that that were were you know as legitimate as as those as reasons go in the geopolitical sphere, um, what 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 interest is it of yours, America? Between the lines, what, what's there, your interest? Though, between the lines, that's as honest as he's going to get because he's saying, um, "I'm here. I'm. We're, I can sell American." Military might. Uh, we can sell you actual American, equipment. American can, protection racket. A protection racket, and we're in competition with those Russians and the Chinese yeah, well, of course, for this region. That's, that's the but real that's truth. That's as honest it. as it's going to get in right. terms of a geopolitical explanation. Right. right, but people now that people have that, then they can follow it through. It's very easy once you understand that broad scale, uh, you know, um, motivation of pushing back against Russia and China because America is existentially afraid of losing its position as top top dog in the world and then follow that through as to what America would do to maintain it. To maintain that. And it's got bugger all to do with freedom and democracy. Or saving people from it's ISIS. A great, it's a great, or saving people from ISIS or stopping radical Islam. In fact, radical Islam, as we've seen in Syria over the past seven years, has served you very well. John Kerry, very explicitly, it's on our YouTube channel, Stop Media. John Kerry, recording John Kerry, uh, John Kerry stating that they, the American government, and this was back in 2014 or whatever, under, under Obama, uh, Obama the great liberator and, the, and the, you know, the, the, the bleeding heart, I want everybody to, you know, uh, live, live wonderful, peaceful lives together and, and, and wonderful diversity and stuff. Under Obama, the, Ob uh, the, the US government deliberately allowed, at least, allowed ISIS, well, at a time when they said they were bombing it and they were in Syria to bomb and attack ISIS, they allowed, John Kerry said they allowed ISIS to carry on and do its thing, which evidence suggests they also in included them funding and arming and sending weapons to them through various different channels. They allowed them to, to do that so that they could overthrow the Syrian government. And he's point? on record of saying yeah. it. Yeah. Um... The other thing that's interesting about the timing of this, that John Bolton went preceded him to the Middle East. I think, the, I think they're traveling together. They're, as the report said there, they're going there's to visit three of them. There's countries. Pompeo, Bolton, and, and, and John Bolton's mustache. It has, a, a, an extra, it has its own seat on the airplane. <laughs> it has its own demands. Yeah. I want to see. Yeah. Yeah. Raytheon. And, right. Um, and... This is like you you get a sense of how alone Trump is. Yeah. When Pompeo basically undercuts what Trump's been saying for the last month mm. about drawing down and bolting. Pulling out of sand and death. There's mm. nothing in it for us. Mm. 
Now, well, that people crap their pants. The 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 protected ones, the the ones who have signed up to the protect protection racket, America's protection racket, racket in the Middle East, they crap their pants when they heard Trump say that. Because it's 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 all change, and it's like that change is, is scary, you know. I mean, yeah, Russia is kind of asserting itself in the Middle East, but it hasn't been there long enough. And and those countries like Saudi Arabia, Qatar, the UAE, uh, Jordan, Egypt, to a large extent, um, are all. American kind of client, American protect, protector, American protectorates in the Middle East, and they don't want to see their patron just up and leave. Like it, it, it scares them because they don't know what's going to happen. It could, it's not just that Russia might not be able to provide the same protection, although it, you know, and it probably wouldn't want to. But they like it this way. They don't want to have to have to be honest brokers with their neighbors type thing. They want a big brother, as it as America has been doing, to come in to stay there and and continue to do what's been doing, which is threaten everybody to stay in line and to operate along the guidelines that America sets. Mm -hmm. You know, it's much easier because then you can really just be a puppet, you know, and just deal with your local issues type thing. But the broader Middle East is is locked down and is is, is stable, you know. If America goes, they think think that uh, instability will will break out and who knows what could happen. They may be, you know, who knows what their their future the future would hold for them in that respect, you know. So that's why you had Pompeo and Bolton come in and go, okay, hang on a minute. Trump doesn't really mean that. We're, we're not going anywhere. And he goes on a, what, a nine-day whistle-stop tour, patting everybody in the head saying, calm down, he's handing out freaking Xanax or Valium or something to everybody. Chill out, everybody. It's okay. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. Bush or Trump is, uh, you know, he just don't know what he's talking about. The irony is if it, if it had not been for either Obama administration or a continuation in the so-called right-wing equivalent of a U.S. government, the U.S. would, the Middle East as a whole would be on its way to democratizing by now. Case in point, Yemen. Yemen had basically a coup, but pop after years of the Arab Spring protests, which were also mega in Yemen too, Mm -hmm. it finally came to a head in a a coup with popular backing. Mm -hmm. Um, then it became immediately, well, quite quickly, a civil war in 2015 when Saudi Arabia, nominally, in quotes, Saudi Arabia, really it's a Western war against Yemen to maintain the existing order in that country. Because if, to quote an older U.S. Democrat, so a leftist right. <laughs> from the 1960s, if one of those little commie countries falls or falls to one of those little Asian countries falls to communism, they all fall like dominoes. Right. The domino theory. It's a real fear for them because... Yemen goes, well, then there's pressure on Saudi Arabia to reform and an actual upwelling of democracy, roughly. By that, I simply mean that uh, leadership that is broadly aligned with the popular will. Right. Simply that, not not any kind of, you know, yeah, idealis- uh, ideological variance of imported Western democracy, like literally. Um, although it might take, who knows what forms it would take. I mean, um. Syria, not case in point. I mean, Syria was, it, it arguably is one of the last few bastions of a reasonably secular, nationalistic, therefore in line with the will of the people, therefore democratic countries in the Middle mm-hmm. East, uh, thanks to al-Assad's father and then, of course, the current president. And that's why they hated him so much. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I think the 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 one if I if I were to tie this back to our earlier discussion, the one thing 
people should see in this is that there's no difference between, no real difference between Obama's vision of America and the Middle East and Pompeo's version. Well, what is the difference between those two? This is supposed to be a whole new government for America that's so radically different that America's tearing itself apart mm -hmm. over this current government. But it's basically the same. The difference, of course, comes down to one person, really, Trump, mm -hmm. who the Americans voted for. But it shows you, like, it's, it, it shows you that it's, it's always, it was always going to take a lot more an electoral success of a a maverick, a surprise, and a godsend, let's say, from the perspective of a majority of Americans. Oh, thank God, Trump's there. Well, we dodged yeah. a bullet here. Things mm. will, it'll take time, but we'll basically revert back to mm. some normal things. No, you've got so deep state. Think... You've got the unelected power behind the throne that's been there for a very long time. And now you're up against that, you know. I mean, it's a real battle. But the benefit of that has been a lot of things have been revealed as a result of that conflict between yeah. the deep state and between Trump. And that's, that's as good, the best thing you can say about the Trump presidency, effectively, is that, you know, in, in a broader sense, that it has revealed an awful lot to a lot of people, certainly those who are with eyes to see, you know. And it's, so in that sense, it's been a good thing, you know. Um, but I think we're going to have to leave it there for this week because we're getting close to... Uh, the top of the hour so okay. um yeah so i hope uh hope you enjoyed the show we will be back if you liked it click like subscribe all that kind of stuff if um even if you didn't like it like and subscribe anyway uh <laughs> just because um we'll be back next week with another show uh so until then thanks for watching listening and have a good evening bye see you next week